Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from our guest speaker. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or our website for ways to give. Is that it? I'm kidding. You guys ready to have a good time this morning? Boy, I sure enjoy getting to know your staff more. It's good to be back here. And uh, man, it's just good to be in a house of hunger. I will have to say, I did see some non-Christian things from Nathan yesterday as we played ping pong. (laughs) The Bible talks about blessed is the merciful. I just wasn't seeing that from him. (laughs) Love is kind. I was not feeling any kindness as he was spiking it. And I I swear there was some voodoo on his serves. I don't know what was happening there, but uh, we had a good time. But he is much better than me. I appreciate the humility, though, that you imparted to me. In front of my wife. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Can I just start off with an admission? Yes, there's been bad teaching on finances in the church in the past. Can we disagree with that? There's also been bad teaching on heaven, and I still plan on going there. Okay, fear of error is not a reason to ignore the truth. If you're ignoring the truth, you're already in error. Let me start off with a question. If you had more money, could you make more impact? That's what we're talking about. More money equals more impact. See, kingdom finances is different for believers because it's not about toys and trinkets. It's about influence and impact. It's about funding your life mission and making your greatest impact. See, prosperity is not about uh, possessing. It's about blessing. It's not about how much you keep for yourselves. It's about how much you give away. How are we doing? So let me give you my definition of prosperity. Is You have no financial debt and you have more than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. What do you guys think about that? More than enough resources to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you, and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. And notice I didn't say every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. What I said is you're going to have finances in proportion to your assignment. So the idea is we stay in our lane, and we trust God to give us the provision for our vision. Here's some good news. God doesn't mind meeting your needs in style. He just doesn't want you giving your heart over to pursuing style. Some good news is his name is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. All right? So abundance if you're Joseph in prison isn't necessarily having the, the finest chariot in the land and the best palace on top of a hill. It's having the wisdom and the favor to succeed in whatever environment God puts you in. So we stay in our lane, and God gives us the provision for the vision that he has for our lives. Are we doing all right? So let me ask you this. Has anyone here besides me ever been broke? All right, here's what the King James would say about uh, being broke. It stinketh. <laughs> like, there's nowhere in the Bible that says it's a blessing to be broke, that it's a good thing. And uh, let me just say this. You can be broke and not be poor. Broke is a temporary financial condition. Poverty is a lens that only sees meager possibilities. And when you only see meager possibilities, it's going to severely limit God's ability to get involved in your life. So prosperity starts with who you have, not what you have. Are we doing okay so far? All right. It's always quiet when you talk about money. We're going to get something good. See, what happens is when you're plagued with uh, a poverty mentality, you're always going to feel like there's never enough for me. It gets very personal. It's almost like putting up an umbrella over your finances because fear is just faith in the devil. I'm just going to keep going here. All right. So today I want to talk to you about prosperity and your identity. All right. When you know that you're a prosperous person because of who you have and not what you have, it breaks the poverty spirit. When I say spirit, I'm not talking about like a demon spirit wrapped around your brain. I'm talking about like Ephesians 4 says, be made new in the spirit of your mind. It's a lens. It's a worldview. Okay? And uh, I want you to be able to move from limited thinking to anything as possible thinking. Which one do you think sounds more like the kingdom? Limited thinking 
Anything is possible, right? So let me give you this, idea, this definition of identity. Your identity is who you are regardless of your circumstances. Okay, keep that in mind. Your identity is who you are regardless of your circumstances. So I was made youth pastor for one summer. I guess that's all that could handle me doing. And so the previous youth, pa youth pastor, the youth camp before, uh, the year before, he had spent way too much money, went way over budget and got in trouble. And two weeks before youth camp, he quit and left and went to another church. And so I stepped in. I had a whole bunch of other responsibilities. I stepped in with two weeks preparation. And so... Somehow he was able to get the cost way down, and uh, when, when I kind of did some investigating, I found out the youth camp was going to be in the middle of a crime war zone in the inner city. Like literally, there's like shootings and drug deals going down, and so I'm like, you know, uh, I'm not very tough, in case you didn't notice, and it might be a surprise to some of you. I'm like, I, I, like, I don't know what we're going to do with like, all this, this crime going on. And so there was this guy in our church, and uh, let's just call him Rambo. I don't want to use his real name. He was in the Marine Counterterrorism Special Forces Unit. Okay, so this guy, he didn't try to act tough, he just was tough. He would always sit at the, uh, in the restaurant with his seat, uh, with his back to the wall so he could see all the exit signs. Remember that scene from Jason Bourne where he's like, how do I know that, you know, the guy up there is 215 pounds, the best place to look for a gun is over here. I know the waitress is left-handed and I, you know, if I would run out flat out at, at half mile at this altitude level, I could run with my, without my handshake. Remember that scene? Like he knew all those things? That was this guy. He's constantly on the lookout for these things. I remember we were at a gas station one time. This guy was hassling this girl, and he went, hey, and he just pointed, and the guy ran. I was like, man, I'd love to be able to, be able to do that with my finger. And so he is, I invite him to do, uh, to do the youth camp, kind of like the security team, and he's taking it serious. It's like everything's level 10 with this guy. And so uh, the, the evening service went kind of late, and so I'm walking Mary and the boys back to the cabin. And no lie, he's wearing a gunny suit, so he's dressed like a bush, and he has on night vision goggles, and he's in a bush. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. And so I'm walking by him, and he steps out and goes, Pastor Baker, I've secured the perimeter. I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but I think I feel safer. Like, like scare me to death. So he um, flushed out an undercover cop. There was a guy there, and he thought the guy was looking suspicious. He had him pinned against the wall with his arm twisted, and the guy showed him his badge, and he let him go. And they ended up working together, and they did two drug busts during, during the youth camp. <laughs> like, like, like he's taking it super serious. And so um, we uh, used to be on staff at a church that did the church plays. Remember those? And so... Um, he was the guard that nailed Jesus to the cross. And so he's, you know, he's got like his Roman centurion outfit on. But afterwards, he like, um, you know, the play was over. He still got on his makeup and his centurion outfit. But he had like his leather jacket on with the fringes. And so I thought he was talking to some people. I thought I'd be funny. And I came up behind him and I put my finger on his back. I said, give me your wallet. <laughs> Remember, your identity is who you are regardless of your circumstances. So it is, it is this fast. He has snapped me over his hip. And he has his hand in the back of my head. And he's getting ready to shatter my face on the ground. So I'm plummeting towards my death. And at the last second, he recognizes me. And he scoops me up in his arms like a little baby. And my back goes. <laughs> and so I'm like kind of stunned. There's like no way to like act cool in this situation. So, he's, so now he's holding me like a child in front of these people. And I'm, I'm kind of stunned. And I'm like, ah. and he's like, Pastor Baker, I think I almost killed you. And I'm like, I think he did. And I, what's the old saying? Once a Marine? Listen, guys, if you, uh, it doesn't matter if, uh, if a Marine is in Afghanistan or if they're at youth camp or they're in a church play. Like, there is no off. Your identity is who you are regardless of your circumstances. You need to get deep into who you are because you're always going to act out of how you see yourself. If you see yourself as a sinner, I'm just a sinner, and you don't emphasize the saved by grace part, you just see yourself as a sinner, you're going to sin by faith because that's how you see yourself. 
Let's emphasize you were a sinner, but you've been saved by grace. Now you're a saint. You're always going to act out of how you see yourself. Victims get their identity from their experience. Sons and daughters get their identity from who God says they are. If you begin to get your identity from your circumstance, you're going to chase riches instead of wealth. I'm just going to keep going here. So, Riches are what you have. Wealth is who you have, which affects every other area of your life. There's actually a realm called abundance that God wants you to step into. Jesus stepped into it. I mean, uh, I mean you never read a verse and it said, and Jesus was worried. And Jesus stayed up all night because his stomach acid had him have a nasty reflux. There's none of those verses, right? He lived in this realm of abundance. So even when they're getting ready to throw him off of a cliff, he's like, it's not my, it's not my time. Parts the crowd and walks out and says, how you like me? Oh, he didn't say how you like me. I, I, I would have done that. But anyway, and so um, he lived in this realm of abundance where there was always enough. There was always enough wisdom, always enough strength, always enough power, always enough provision for whatever the situation is. I've got some good news for you. He opened up that realm to every believer. We're going to look at that today. Remember the disciples feeding the 5,000. The disciples have got a poverty mentality. They are limited to what's humanly possible. And like, listen, we only got a couple of fish. There's not, you know, it would take how many days' wages to feed all these people? And Jesus stepped into the realm of abundance and multiplied the fish and fed 5,000. Now, we can just read that as a cute story, or we can read that as an invitation. I remember one time we were doing a feeding service at the, uh, for the homeless, and uh, we had, I think we had two crock pots full of food. We weren't expecting that many people, and a whole room full of people showed up. So the first thing was like, hey, um, our workers were not eating today, obviously, right? And so something strange began to happen. As we began to um, fill, up the, uh, fill up the bowls of the food, the pots kept filling back up. Like they never got unfull. And we only brought like one plate of cookies. Everybody got... Um, a bowl of food. Everybody took food home and took cookies home and the pots were still full at the end. Like what happened? I think a miracle happened right in the middle of it without us even knowing that. Like guys, those aren't just stories in the Bible. That's a realm that God wants us to tap into. Anyone who's got teenagers, you can claim that miracle for yourself. I know how much they eat. Let me give you your identity. You are prosperous. Not because of what you have, but because of who you have. When you begin to act out of that identity, it'll affect everything else that you touch. Listen to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is from the Passion Translation. This is a word picture of who you now are because you've been united to Christ. What delight comes to those who follow God's ways. They won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share in the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. Their pleasure and passion is remaining to the true word of I am, meditating day and night in his true revelation light. Ready for this? This is you. They will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design. Deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of their lives, they are never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. That's your identity. You are blessed. You are prosperous. Let me ask you this. When is an apple tree an apple tree? A lot of people might think, well, you know, it's an apple tree when it begins to bear fruit of apples. It's actually not true. It's true in its seed form. It's just a matter of time and the right conditions. It will become who it already is. A lot of people are waiting to believe that they're prosperous when all their external circumstances begin to show that they're prosperous. That's not how it works. The Bible says you prosper as your soul prospers. As you recognize the prosperity of soul and begin to tap into that, it affects your external circumstances. How are we doing? Here's what this verse says. Another translation says, whatever he does prospers. But what would be different this week if you began to face every circumstance as a son and daughter of God? Let me just use a money example. Um, there was a guy in his 20s, and my friend was talking to him, and the guy was worth like 30 or $50 million, something crazy like that in his 20s. And he was a believer. 
And my friend said, um, you know, how are you doing this? Like, what's your secret? I thought his, uh, he had an interesting answer. He says, I'm learning to approach every situation as a son and daughter of God. And I'm not saying that 30 or $50 million is necessarily a measure of success. A measure of success is that you hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the end. That you're doing your race. But I think it's an interesting approach that he was learning to approach every situation as a son and daughter. What's, what's that mean? He's acting out of who he is, not just out of his circumstances. Guys, either this, uh, these verses are true or it's uh, some philosophical fluff that we need to put on a Hallmark card. But I believe that they're true and can actually base our life on them. Now, when I say the word prosper, let's not limit it to the American uh, Christian version of uh, prosperity, which just happens to be money. A lot of people just focus on that part. Um, prosper and the word prosperous, it's a big word in the Bible. It's used in lots of contexts. And so we saw it in Psalm 1. It's a picture of a man being plugged into streams of living water who's fruitful in every season of their life. And so... Um, uh, this man has an inner surge of life. It reminds me of John 4, 14. Jesus is talking to the... Am I talking too fast here? All right. So, uh, yeah, I saw someone started, like, interpreting tongues. I'm like, no, no, no. I just, this is English. Uh, Jesus is talking to the woman in Samaria, John 4, 14. He says, for when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. John 7, 38, Jesus said, rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being. Water always speaks of the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so the prosperous person, they're plugged into this holy power that's not their own. Guys, I got some good news for you. God loves you so much that he sent the Holy Spirit to personally mentor you into your destiny. And any situation that comes to you also comes to the Christ in you. And because you are a prosperous person, you are plugged into a power source that's not your own. Now, prosperity includes finances, Proverbs 10, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Boy, there's a way to get rich in the world. I mean, I, I, one famous guru says, you don't need to work nine to five, you need to work 95, 95 hours a week, you know, and uh, maybe you know, some of you guys know who I'm talking about. There's another one who says, you need to work a minimum of 16 hours a day if you want to have a business in today's world, as he brags about how much, uh, how many uh, Christmases he's worked through, uh, also not bragging how many divorces he's had. Was that, you, there's a way that well, works in the world, but you can work 80 hours a week, but it causes sorrow. Uh, you may neglect your kids, neglect your family, neglect your health. But the blessing of the Lord, it goes beyond just finances. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Because it's Amplified, I'm going to say it louder. No, it's a bad joke. Uh, verse 1. <laughs> bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is deepest within me, bless his holy name. Bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not one of his benefits. You want to know the benefits of being a believer? Here we go. Who forgives every one of all your iniquities. This means you could go through all of your history with God and you would never blush. You would never have any skeletons in your closet because he's erased them all. Can you imagine being so free that if someone were to bring up your past, your heart rate wouldn't even increase because you know that died with Christ. Who heals each one of all your diseases. The Holy Spirit is like a healing energy on the inside of you. A healing river on the inside of you. In case you didn't know it, God wants you well. He doesn't have a purpose for your sickness. Oh, well, this sickness is making me more like Jesus. Uh, Jesus wasn't sick, so it's not going to make you more like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make you more like Jesus, not sickness. God wants you well. He paid for the healing of your body in the same way, the forgiveness of your sin, the same way the, um, uh, the abundant provision of your finances. Listen, guys, God would no more rather have you in poverty than he would have you in adultery. He paid for you to come out of both of those things. He doesn't want you poor, sick, and sin, and demonic bondage. He's a good God. Remember how the curse of poverty came out on the earth? It came with the sweat of the brow 
and thorns and thistles. Remember what Jesus took on the cross? Thorns and thistles on his brow, and he shed blood to break the curse of poverty. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You ain't got to be poor anymore. What's the solution to poverty? The good news, the gospel. Somehow the gospel contains the seeds to pull people out of poverty. We all right? Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and corruption, who beautifies, dignifies, and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth, your necessity and desire at your personal age and situation with good so that your youth is renewed, is like the eagle, strong, overcoming, and soaring. That's true prosperity. The recognition that I've entered into a covenant with God who says, your problems are now my problems. Listen, guys, God is not angry at you. He poured out all of his anger on sin. Remember Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin. It wasn't child abuse at the cross. Jesus became sin. He poured out all of his wrath and anger and justice for sin. So guess what? Now all he has left for you is grace and peace and mercy. All the obstacles between you and God have been removed. He's standing there with his arms open just waiting for you to turn around and say yes. He's not angry. He's not even in a bad mood. Well, Jim, if God doesn't judge San Francisco for their sins, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. No, if he does judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus. I'm not saying, God, I'm not saying sin's a good idea. Sin's stupid. It's just not a problem for the believer anymore. The problem for the believer is you forgot who you were. You're dead to sin. How are we doing? I'm not saying sin doesn't have consequences. They're sowing and reaping. But God is saving his judgment for the last day. We're in the last days. Big difference. All right, whole nother sermon. Another meaning of prosper. <laughs> Second Samuel 19, 18, it says, they waded through the river. They crossed the Jordan River. In the Hebrew language, it says, they prospered through the river. Here's the picture. They got to the other side. Listen, guys, there may be mud on your ankles. There may be resistance as you're crossing, but they made it to the banks of the river. They prospered. The prosperous person is not the one who never faces difficulty but they have an inner river in which to draw from. So if there's a recession in America, uh, we may feel the sting of it too, but we're going to have all of our needs met and enough left over to be generous. Listen to our brothers and sisters and sisters, brothers and sisters in uh, third world countries who are, who are facing oppressive economic regimes. They may feel the sting of that economic regime, but God has promised that he would not only supply their needs, but he would be the God of more than enough. Listen, if God wanted you to be in lack, he should have changed his name. Okay, should, instead of Jehovah, uh, Je, uh, Jehovah Jireh, which is, means God's your provider, it should have been like Jehovah Lackey. <laughs> like, like, like Jehovah Impoverished. Like, like El Shaddai means the God of infinite supply. Like he should have changed his names if, our, if we were supposed to think, oh, he wants me broke and it keeps me, it's good to be poor. It keeps you humble. No, humility keeps you humble. <laughs> or playing Nathan in ping pong. Another definition of prosper comes from 2 Chronicles 7:11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. You know what that word successfully accomplishes? It's the same word in Hebrew as prosper. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. That's why I refer to that. It's the Hebrew word prosper. The idea is you set out to do something and you receive a divine ability to bring it to its conclusion. The believer is not one who starts with a bunch of products, projects and then sits in a whole bunch of frustration because they're unfinished. The prosperous person has a divine energy to actually bring them to completion. 
Another definition we found in Daniel 3.30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Rakshak and Benny from the uh, VeggieTales videos? That's actually from the Bible, yeah. And so the king promoted Rakshak and Benny in the province of Babylon. The prosperous person is never held back. These were slave children who were promoted in there. Why? Because God was with them in everything that they did. Everything that they put their hand to prospered. That's an old covenant promise. We have new covenant promises with better promises, which means we get everything from the old covenant on the outside, but we also get all the conditions of salvation on the inside. James 1 says that trials and difficulties come because God is preparing you, so you're ready for this, so that you're lacking in nothing. A lot of people are like, God, give me an upgrade. Why is this difficulty coming? Those difficulties are literally stepping stones in your destiny, so stop cursing your destiny because of this difficult circumstance. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom when you're facing a trial, ask for wisdom. The prosperous person, listen, when a difficult uh, circumstance, the devil's trying to kill you with it. God says, I'm, uh, I'm going to allow you to be able to be lacking in nothing. God's looking to give something to you. Not everything that happens to you is God's will, by the way. Well, Jim, God is sovereign. Yeah, he is sovereign. If you use the dictionary definition of sovereign or the biblical idea that there's nobody bigger and his ultimate plans and purposes will be accomplished through free will. But if you think that everything that happens to you is God's will, then God must be schizophrenic because he's, send, you know, he's sending the very sickness on people that he's telling you to heal. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9, there's people perishing every single day. Guys, there's things that happen that aren't God's will. Well, God doesn't cause it, but he allows it. Listen, guys, can I just say something strong? I'm leaving in like a couple hours on the plane, so I'm just going to say it. God does not allow sickness. The church allows sickness. He put a gun in your hand and told you to shoot it. He gave you authority over every sickness, every evil disease, and every evil spirit. You're not waiting on God. God's waiting on you. You know, the electricity company, let's say the electricity went out. We, uh, you know, let's just say, okay, we got electricity here. You know, Pastor Nathan didn't call him and say, listen, guys, we got several hundred people coming tomorrow. If you guys could send the electricity, if you could just please send, send the power, send the power on down. And no, no, they don't need to do that. The electricity has already been generated. We just had to flip the switch on. The power has already been released 2,000 years ago on the cross. He's waiting for us by faith to say, yes, Lord, thank you. I'll receive it. Faith doesn't move God. It responds to God already moving. You doing some Indian war dance and prayers and all these type of things doesn't move the heart of God. He's moved because of what his son did. And when we see that, faith comes in our heart and we say, thank you, Jesus, be it unto me. Whether it's prosperity, healing, deliverance from whatever habits binding you. How we doing? Another definition, 1 Samuel 10.10. Lots of stuff not in the notes today. I'm surprised at some of the things coming out of my mouth, to be honest with you. 1 Samuel 10.10. In uh, 16.13, it translates the word about uh, 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 the Holy Spirit falling upon people. It says the Holy Spirit fell upon Saul. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's the same phrase used of the, in, um, in the King James where the, the father in the prodigal son story ran and he fell upon his son and smothered him with kisses. It's a picture of a bear hug. Sometimes when people have an encounter with a God when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, it's the bear hug of God. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you've entered into the prosperous life because he's the source of all of it. So listen, guys, whatever situation you're in, your roots can go down to divine energy and pull it up and manifest in whatever situation you're in. You are wealthy even if you aren't rich because wealth is determined by who you have, not what you have. Riches are determined by what you have. So the prosperous person is the person who's like a plea, uh, plea, my goodness gracious, is like a tree planted by the water, always fruitful no matter the season who's crowned and dignified with God's loving kindness. 
This person has peace with God and his fellow man, past, present, and future. This person succeeds in their goal. This person who goes through hell and high water but will come out the other side. This is a person who's promoted in all parts of their life because the Holy Spirit is upon them. Guys, this is true wealth. Let me ask you, when is a baby boy a boy? Is it, uh, is it you know, when, they, when, they're, when they're born, when they've got diapers, when they shave, when their voice changes, when they, when they get married? Like when, when, is, when, do they actually, when do they become all these things? Um, it's when that Y chromosome fertilizes the egg. Then it's just a matter of time. It's in the DNA of that seed. It's just a matter of time. When are you prosperous? It's when your faith, it's when your spirit and God's spirit became one spirit. It's when you said, Jesus, I believe, you became prosperous at that moment. Now, there may be some time, maybe some things you have to learn, may have to renew your mind, may have to unlearn some lies, but you can become who you already are. Do you see the difference between becoming who you already are versus trying to get something you don't have? A lot of Christians are like a, ch- uh, a dog chasing its tail, trying to get what they've already got. Can I be honest with you? A lot of the 24-7 prayer movement is not 24-7 prayer, it's 24-7 unbelief. Begging God for things they already have. Yeah, I'm surprised by that one too. <laughs> Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not against prayer. But I'm against begging for God for things that he's already said yes to. Man, guys, all this stuff is his idea. All the blessings, all, I mean, all of it's his idea. We're not trying to convince him. If you are trying to pry God's hand open with your prayers, with your good works, with your fasting, a lot of Christians, they're not fasting. It's just a hunger strike. I'm not going to eat until God does this. God's not going to be held hostage by your growling stomach. He's not impressed with it. He's not up there like, I'm giving Baker nothing. And gurgle, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, is Baker fasting? Like it's his favorite song. Like I, I just love the sound of gurgling stomachs, you know. And I, I, I was, if he continues to fast, I'm going to have to turn from my fierce wrath and answer his prayer against my will. He's got me. Guys, that's not what fasting is. Fasting is an opportunity to narrow our focus and say, God, I'm more hungry for your world than this one. It's a narrowing of the focus. And what are you doing? Fasting is feasting on Jesus. It's, it's saying no to something good so I can say yes to something better. And what does it do? It helps me take hold of what's already there. It doesn't move God. If you're trying to open God's hand, you're in dead works and you've cut yourself off from grace. No oh boy. <laughs> When's this thing over, Lord? <laughs> do you realize you've never seen your face? You, you've seen a reflection of your face. Maybe you've seen a photograph of your face or yourself on video, but you've never actually seen your face. And yet you look into that mirror and you trust that reflection and you take action on it. You've never actually seen your spirit. You can't access what happened in salvation through your feelings. Well, I just don't know if I feel peace. I don't know if I feel wisdom, okay? Uh, Christianity is not called the feeling, it's called the faith, You've already got it. Stop, stop trying to get it. You're not always going to have the feelings of having the mind of Christ. You're not always going to feel righteous and blameless before the Lord. You're not always going to feel anointed. Guys, if you're waiting for your hands to get hot before you pray for somebody, you could be waiting for a very long time. 
You may not always feel like you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. You may not always feel like you've got authority over every sickness, every evil disease, and every evil spirit. You may not feel like you're prosperous, planted by streams of living water. So you know what you need to do? You need to look into the mirror. Here's what uh, James 1.24 says. It says of the word of God. Here's some people, they observe themselves in the mirror, which is the word of God, and immediately forget what kind of man he was. What's he saying? Guys, if you want to see what's happened on the inside, you need to look into the mirror of the word of God and not be moved by what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. When you come to the Bible, you have to realize it's a mirror, it's not a book of rules. The mirror says, this is who you are. If you look into a book of rules, it's going to say, this is who you ought to be, and you need to be doing more. Here's the primary message of religion. You're not doing enough. Here's the primary message of the new covenant. It's all been done in Christ. Guys, the new covenant isn't even between you and God. The new covenant is between God and Jesus, so there's nothing you can do to screw it up. And so now he puts you into Christ. So you, God delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. God only heals people who don't deserve it, so stop trying to deserve it. He only, heal, he only prospers people who don't deserve it, so stop trying to deserve it and receive it as a gift. The Bible is telling you your identity regardless of your circumstance. If you're looking at the book of rules, you're going to think, I need to do more. I need to double my efforts. But when you're looking in a mirror of his word, your response is worship and thankfulness. Look what Jesus has done for me. But Jim, I'm a Holy Spirit junkie. If I don't feel the Holy Spirit and over here, I'm going to go over here until I can feel it. I got an honest question for you. Are you battling depression? I bet you are. Because if you're living from story to story, instead of glory to glory, you're going to be, in a, you're going to be having a hard time. You have to come to the point that says, I don't care what I see, taste, hear, smell. We call those cruisomatics instead of charismatics. Just cruising around from one church to the next <laughs> in search of the next experience, not realizing the common denominator and all these things that while the feeling fades is them. Circumstances are going to come at you like a bucking bronco and you need to hold on to his word for more than eight seconds. It will come to pass. Have you ever looked in a mirror at a um, carnival and it has a distorted picture of reality? Remember, like, maybe you look like super tall and wide or short and fat. Remember, you like those crazy mirrors, right? Your feelings are the distorted mirror of who you really are. I know that Christ lives in me, but this just seems overwhelming. Wrong mirror. But you don't know what it's like to be married to this person. Wrong mirror. You have the victory of Christ living on the inside of you. But you don't know what financial mess we're in. Wrong, mirror. Yes, but the doctor said this, and you know that doctors are the final authority on planet Earth. Wrong, mirror. I was watching the news, and they said there's no hope for America. Wrong, mirror. I've tried and tried to get free from this habit. This Jesus thing isn't working. Wrong, mirror. I tried giving at the church, and I don't see any blessing in my finances. Wrong, mirror. But not this group. This group's going after something different. This group's going after word and spirit. They're going to have both wings of the airplane. They're bringing balance to the force. Come on, Star Wars fans. Well, that's the saddest that I got the biggest amen on that one. The biggest response is him giving me bare bottom spankings with a wet hand and ping pong and then the Star Wars thing. So that's it, yeah. God's raising up people. I don't even know where that one came from. My goodness gracious. Let's rewind the tape and edit that one. 
God's raising up people who are powerful in word and spirit. People who can look in the mirror and be energized by the spirit to do what God called us to do. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to, uh, just for a moment, close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself looking in the mirror. But it's Jesus looking back at you. You've been united to him. And everything that's true about Jesus is now true about you. Everything that you love about Jesus, he's making you into that very same thing. 1 John 4, 17, as Jesus Christ is, so are you in this world. You can open your eyes. Listen, guys, if you have God, you have everything. Prosperity is not what you have, it's who you have. Uh, when I was in seminary, I worked in a psych ward for a couple of years. And uh, so when we would uh, come on the new shift, the, uh, the nurse would come on and kind of give us a report of everybody from the previous shift and just let us know what's going on. And uh, this one uh, time, I remember, it sticks out in my mind, this lady came and she began to describe this patient who got supernatural strength and was picking up employees and throwing them across the room. So this person manifested a demon, turned out their dad was a witch doctor. And uh, this report got my attention. I'm just going to be honest with you, this report got my attention. And so he's in, and he's in his room and I knew which room it was. And about in the middle of the shift, there's this great ruckus coming from the room. I thought, oh no. And so I went to the room and he's throwing the furniture and he turns around, his hair's crazy and he snarls at me. And I said, hey, you better stop it. He didn't listen to me. And, uh, and so I'm kind of standing there, you know, adrenaline's hitting my system, my hands are shaking a little bit. And all of a sudden he gets this worried look on his face and he settled down. I thought, well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And, um, and then I looked behind me and uh, Big Rick was there. Big Rick was a local football player who worked in the psych ward. He's six foot eight, three twenty, and his love language was physical contact. <laughs> and I began to find this confidence come over me once I realized Big Rick was with me. I began saying things like, "Yeah, you better settle down if you know what's good for you." <laughs> hey guys, I got some good news for you. There's someone more powerful than Big Rick here. You can have a confidence because abundant life himself is living on the inside of you. These aren't cute phrases. This is a living reality that you can now step into. If you guys could stand for, uh, for closing here. If everyone could stand and face the back of the room for a second and take out your wallet. I'm just kidding about the wallet part. So <laughs> We're going to do a closing exercise. If everyone could face the back wall here, you'll see why in a second. Ushers come get their person. No, we're not doing that. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to let the richness of John's vision from the book of Revelation just wash over you. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light. They will need no more light because the lamp and the light of the sun, for God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now the river of God is a picture of abundant life, supernatural provision and prosperity. Everything good you will ever need or desire can be found in it. It runs through the middle of the street, giving everyone full access to it. All you need to do is learn how to get in its flow. So I want you to imagine now that you're standing in this river, but you're facing downstream, away from the throne. 
Behind you, God is placing good things into the river for you, yet because of your position, you remain a spectator, watching good things float past you just out of reach. I want you to try to envision what some of those good things might be. Now I want you to speak this prayer out loud. Father God, I'm standing in the crystal river of heaven that flows from your throne. You fill this river with good things. But because I'm facing downstream, good things flow away from me. They are just beyond my reach. Too hard to catch. Lord Jesus, I want to turn. I want to see your throne. I want to see your provision. I turn around in Jesus' name. Now go ahead and turn around. Now pray this. Thank you, God, that I'm facing upstream. I can envision the throne of God. Good things are coming to me. The good things are everywhere. There's more than I can contain. There's abundance here for everyone, including me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a good little exercise just to help you orient towards reality that you are facing towards the throne because of what Jesus has done. And as we get ready to close here, um, I just uh, just like to give anyone an opportunity. You're hearing this message about prosperity and living from the energy of Jesus and having your roots planted in a holy power that's not your own. And uh, the good news of the gospel is that you can have as much of Jesus in your life as possible. The gospel in two words is trust Jesus. You're not just believing facts about what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good start. But you're actually trusting him with your life. You're saying, God, I'm trusting you with my life, my finances, uh, my future, my marriage. And God, I want as much of you in my life as possible. And so if you're here and you're not trusting Jesus, maybe you got baptized as an infant, but you're not in a relationship where you're trusting God, and you're like, today I want to do that. I want to, I want to make a public confession. Jesus says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And so I'm not, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but with every, every eye open, every head up, and everyone looking around, if there's anyone here and you're like, listen, I want to do that. I want to trust Jesus today. Uh, if you could just do something bold and just raise your hand, and we want to just agree with you in prayer. Is anybody here you're like, you know what? I need that. I need to trust Jesus. I'm not doing that right now. Thank you. I see that hand back there. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, if your heart's pounding right now, I just encourage you, man, just take that step of faith. Here's what the Bible says. He says that um, when one lost person comes home, I love how he calls them lost because you can only lose something that's valuable. He says, when one lost person comes home, it says, all the angels rejoice. Every born-again person in here, there was a day where there was a party in heaven and the banner had your name over the table. And today there's, there's some other people that's causing a party in heaven and God, God wants to meet you and become real in your life. It's not just a set of values or behaviors that you adopt. You're actually beginning to live on a different power and have a relationship with a real person. Is there anybody else? You're like, I, I want to do that. I want to trust Jesus. Awesome. All right, if you uh, didn't raise your hand, you're welcome to pray this prayer, but let's just pray something simple. Jesus, I trust you. I want as much of you in my life as possible. Forgive me for my sins, for doing things apart from you. You're my Lord. You're my teacher. I want to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do the, uh, the Generosity Sunday part. Well, hold on. First of all, praise God. 
Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to come find the prayer team or one of the pastoral staff afterwards, and they'll find a way for you to get connected. And um, yeah, it's, it's a lot like a marriage. It's, it's like a, a marriage enrichment thing. It's like, how do you continue to fall deeper in love? It's not a whole bunch of rules you got to now follow. It's uh, what can I do to continue to engage Jesus? So it'll be a lot of fun. And so, yay, God. Well, let's just close this out. If you could uh, just sit down one second. Um, I love the idea of Generosity Sunday, uh, of a church who's living out what they say they believe. And um, there's, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if you will sow generously, you'll reap generously. And it's using the illustration of a seed. You know, a farmer is not like, what's the least amount of seed I can do and still prosper? He's like, no, I'm trying to get as much seed out because every time I produce a seed, it gives me a harvest. And he's saying that's what it's like in the kingdom. He says like when Jesus died on the cross, he entered a, opened up a realm called abundance. And it's like there's a fertile field. And, uh, and when you partner with that, by faith, you, you turn your money into a seed, it actually comes back to you. Listen, guys, if there was no God, you giving money would be the stupidest thing you could do. You should keep it all for yourself because that's, that, that's all there is. But if there is a God who's opened a realm called abundance, you hoarding and withholding would be the stupidest thing you could do because you're cutting off God's ability to bless you. He says, if you will sow generously, I'll reap generously. And so um, let me do this. I think it's powerful to ask God what he wants you to give. But if you only give what God tells you to, you're obedient, but you're not generous. I'm going to try it over here. Because we always want to check in with the Holy Spirit. We always want to obey. But here's what he said in the very next verse after he said, if you sow generously, you reap generously. He said, let each man determine in his heart what he's to give. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. Not because someone's twisting your arm or you feel guilty. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. I remember I was looking at this verse one time and I'm like, well, God, you, you love a cheerful giver. You love everybody. What does that mean you love a cheerful giver? And the Lord took me just real quick in the back of my mind to a story. And uh, we raised three boys. They're, they're all grown. We're empty nesters now. And the, um, in, the number one rule in our house was mommy's the princess. And so we began to train the boys on how to treat women like a princess, starting with their mom. And so one of the things is princesses don't open doors for themselves. And so the boys were trained to open the doors for Mary. And she would kind of tease them if they'd forget. She'd walk by and go fail. And they you know, kind of teasing them. They're like, oh, no, no. And they'd, they'd hurry up. So I remember one time I was walking in the restaurant and the boys ran ahead and were fighting for the opportunity to open the door for Mary. I remember it just so warmed my heart. I'm like, okay, they've got my heart. They're not just doing it out of external. They've got my heart to treat Mary right. And uh, the Lord took me to that. And uh, so I said, Lord, you know, you love everybody. What does it mean you love a cheerful giver? And the Lord said, when people are giving from that kind of joyous heart, they've got God's heart. And I thought, man, when, uh, when we catch that, I actually get to affect the heart of God. God says he loves a cheerful giver. And so we give not because, oh my goodness, it's offering time and just give out, you know. But we actually, we, uh, so I want to teach you how to turn money into a seed. You guys ready for this? So I'm assuming you guys knew this was Generosity Sunday. And some of you have asked the Holy Spirit. And now some of you are maybe like, you know what, this is kind of what's on my heart. And so I'm sure a church like this is just looking for 100% participation. It doesn't have to be equal amounts or all those type of things. But, but guys, this is an opportunity to get in on something where you can actually break open the windows of heaven and get God involved in your finances. You're like, Jim, I can't afford to give anything. What's in your heart? Because there is a supernatural supply that you begin to enter into when you give generously. But the Bible says this, if you lend to the poor, God will repay. Okay, so how do you turn money into a seed? Uh, you wrap it in expectation, bursting with joy, sowing from a heart of love. And so we don't give to get, right? We don't sow a Toyota to reap a Ferrari. Remember that foolishness from the 80s? 
Okay? We give to get so we can give away even more. The Bible says if you sow generously, you'll reap generously to increase your harvest of righteousness. That means you're going to be able to be more generous in the future. Okay? So what are we doing? We're, uh, we're attaching our faith to it. So when, you, when you're giving this amount, don't just put it in the offering plate. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask us just to slow down here in a moment and maybe put your hand in your heart and say, God, I'm attaching my faith to this, Lord. That is, I'm not just throwing money away. I'm not just giving it and never seeing it again. But, Lord, I'm expecting it to come into my life in a multiply way because you said so. And then, God, I'm going to want to be even more generous. So we're wrapping in expectation, bursting with joy. God, I'm so thankful I get to participate in your kingdom. That God, I'm giving money that's literally going to change this region and change lives around the world. And then sown from a heart of love. The world says, show me the money. God says, show me the motive. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, God says, listen, you can give away all your possessions. You can surrender your body to be burned by the flames. If you have not love, it profits you nothing. A lot of Christians, they've been giving out of guilt, almost like with a gun to their head, feeling like if they, if they don't you know, give a certain amount, then God's going to curse them or whatever. Listen, he's God the Father, not the Godfather. You give him money and the offering isn't paying hush money to the mafia so Guido doesn't come break your kneecaps or the devourer doesn't come eat your crops. Okay? Are we okay? All right? And so... Um, so it's bursting, it's a heart of love. It's saying, God, you've given so much to me. I recognize my gifts, my talents, my breath, my job. It's all for you. And so, Lord, I'm sowing back into your kingdom. And so if you have your amount, if you guys can go ahead and get it out, I'm sure there's different ways you can give. You can give by cash. You can give by check. Uh, you can give by app. If you, um, I believe they got some new technology. They're going to put a, a microchip in your forehead and your wrist. You can be able to give it. No, that's a, bad, that's a bad mark of the beast joke. That was a terrible joke there. And so, um, uh, yeah, and so, yeah, if you could just go ahead and get those ready. If we could have the ushers and maybe usherettes. It looks like oh, we've got usherettes, too. Very good. And so if we could do that. And just before we give, though, I want us just to slow down and uh, let's turn this offering into a seed. Because I love the generosity part. But I want it, Paul says, I'm jealous for you to uh, go into the ministry of giving and receiving. And I feel like so many times, Christians, we haven't learned how to receive because we haven't actually turned the money into a seed. We've just been giving. Is that good? All right, so let's put our hand in our hearts and say, God, I just, I'm so thankful that, uh, for your provision. And Lord, we, look so, we still look forward to sowing into your kingdom. But Lord, we're attaching our faith to it. God, you said if we sow generously, we'd reap generously. If we sow sparingly, we'd reap sparingly. So God, as we sow in this, we're expecting return. And we're doing it with joy. And we're sowing it from a heart of love. So we turn this money into a seed. And we look forward to the return to be a bigger blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.